0: This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry." Woe to you who are laughing now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. Please be seated. So recently, a leading research firm polled Americans, asking them to rank which institutions they most trust. Not surprisingly, the federal government, the news media, and Wall Street all fared rather poorly, each garnering the trust of less than a third of the nation. Interestingly, at the top of the list were the military, followed by the scientific community, the police, doctors, nurses, and teachers. The church was somewhere right in the middle. But even then, the overall overall level of trust Americans have in these top-ranked institutions was only in the 50 to 70 percent range. What is even more telling is that a comparative look at how trust levels have changed over the last 50 years is quite revealing. According to the most recent Pew Research Center study, American trust in government has gone from a high of 75% in the Eisenhower-Kennedy era to a low of less than 20% during our last president's term. That is quite a precipitous drop. The historical trust levels in the other American institutions have similar, although less dramatic, declines during this period. The bottom line is that our overall trust in the various social structures that sustain our lives has seriously and steadily eroded over the last five decades. This is profoundly unsettling for the simple reason that human life depends upon trust. We cannot survive without trusting each other. When we get into our cars, we have to be able to trust that they have been properly built and maintained. When we eat our foods, we rely on those who prepared and packaged them to have done so safely. The same for the medicines we take, the planes we fly, the bridges we cross, the water we drink, the buildings we live and work in, we have to trust other people for the simple reason that none of us can possibly have the knowledge, skill, time, or energy to figure all these things out for ourselves. The great American philosopher William James put it this way, It is only by risking our person from one hour to another that we live at all. And often enough, our trust in an uncertified result is the only thing that makes the result come true. Have faith that life is worth living, and this faith, more often than not, will help to make it so. End quote. Now, when I was a school chaplain in elementary school, one of the ways I taught young children this truth about faith is to do a simple demonstration. I'm sure you've probably played this game at some point in your life, whether it was at camp or on retreat. What I did at chapel is I'd ask for a volunteer to come forward and to um, stand next to me on the chancel steps. And I would ask him to turn and face the congregation to close his eyes as I quietly stepped behind him. I then explained to the children that we were going to play a game of trust fall, and that in a moment I would ask the volunteer to slowly fall backward, keeping his eyes closed, trusting that I would catch him before he fell to the ground. Sometimes the child showed great faith in my promise, and other times, not so much. But the experiment, nevertheless, never failed to communicate this truth. Faith is more like trust in someone than it is a belief about something. Now, this fact about faith drives the skeptics crazy. They want everything to be susceptible to cold, hard proof. After all, mathematicians can prove theorems in geometry, and physicists can prove the laws that govern matter and motion. Why don't we insist that faith in God be subject to these same rigorous standards of proof? But when you stop to think about it, most really important things in life are not provable. We cannot scientifically prove that life should be chosen over death or that love is a better option than hate or that goodness is a better path than evil or that we should prefer beauty to ugliness. As Frederick Buechner expressed it in his book Wishful Thinking, faith in God is in this sense more like the faith that bonds friends together. Listen to what Beekner says. I have faith that my friend is my friend. It is possible that all his motives are ulterior. It is possible that what he is secretly drawn to is not me, but my stuff. But nevertheless, there's something about the way I feel when he's around about the way he looks me in the eye, about the way we can talk to each other without pretense and be silent together without embarrassment that makes me willing to put my life in his hands as I do each time I call him my friend. I can't prove the friendship of my friend. When I experience it, I don't need to prove it. When I don't experience it, no proof will do. If I tried to put his friendship to the test somehow, the test itself would ruin the friendship I was testing. So it is with the godness of God." End quote. But there is one crucial difference between trusting in other human beings and trusting in God, and that is that people even the best of friends, each one of us can fail. Try as we might to always be trustworthy friends, human beings are at the end of the day broken. We make mistakes, we succumb to weakness, and sometimes we can even be downright selfish and cruel. And for this reason, there are inevitably breakdowns in trust among human beings, often egregious ones. It is therefore not surprising that betrayal is and always has been one of the great themes in world literature. Perhaps the most famous line in all of classical drama is, et tu, Brute? When Julius Caesar confronts Marcus Brutus, at the moment his friends plunges the knife in his back. And of course, human betrayal is likewise a central theme of the Gospels, not only by the nefarious Judas Iscariot, but even by the otherwise faithful St. Peter, who thrice denies Jesus in his greatest moment of need. Indeed, on this point, both classical literature and the Bible seem to agree human beings and human institutions ultimately cannot be completely trusted. And betrayal is one of the most commonplace of human weaknesses. And it is precisely for this reason that the prophet Jeremiah in our Old Testament lesson this morning insists, in characteristically harsh but direct language, that cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make their flesh their strength. For to do so is to turn away from the Lord. On the other hand, says Jeremiah, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by a stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of the drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit." So how, then, do we place our trust in the Lord? Fortunately for us, in contrast to Jeremiah and the prophets of old, we have the benefit of the new covenant, God's new promise, which is the person of Jesus Christ. The reason we Christians immerse ourselves every Sunday in word and sacrament is precisely because it is there, in the gospel stories about Jesus, in his teachings, and in our dramatic reenactment of his last meal with his friends at this table, that we encounter the one truly trustworthy human being and are given the opportunity to renew our decision to place our faith in this man above all others as the embodiment of God's desire for humanity. Jesus is what it means to be fully human in God's eyes. Now, can I prove to the satisfaction of a mathematician or a scientist that Jesus warrants my complete trust? Certainly not by any theorem or logical argument, except perhaps by the truly radical experiment of choosing to respond to the love Christ has shown me by pledging my own life in return, and then seeing what happens. You see, the secret to Christian wisdom, as our gospel lesson today teaches, is that we have to learn to let go. To let go of our obsession with money to let go of our addiction to power, to let go of our attachment to all of our stuff, as if these material things at the end of the day will be able to save us. And instead, we are invited to trust that God, and God alone, will be there for us when it matters. The life of faith, it turns out, is indeed a lot like that little trust fall exercise I did in chapel for my young students. Sooner or later, each one of us must learn to quietly close our eyes, let go of everything we cling to, fall backward, and simply trust